Once again, welcome back Change Cultivators listeners. Thanks for joining us as we explore the space of organizational change. We dig into topics that will make you a better leader during times of disruption and change. Today, I'm excited. We've got a slightly different take than what we normally do. We have Rob Floyd with us today. Now, you may know the name of Rob Floyd. Rob has been in TV shows like Bar Rescue, and you may have seen him in magazine articles in Maxim and Esquire. He is kind of the mixologist to the stars. And Rob trains mixologists all over the world on how to not just mix drinks, but how to bring theater and engagement to that world, how to deal with the change that's happening in hospitality. So I won't do justice to Rob's background along the way. I will just start and say, hey, Rob, welcome to the Change Cultivators podcast. Give our listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you do. Oh, well, first of all, I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having. I'm really happy to be here. And what you guys do is amazing. It's so cool, especially in a world that's constantly changing every day, every moment of every day. What you do is incredible. So thank you for having me. Cool. So I love your story, right? And I want to just start there and play around in that a little bit, right? You clearly saw a need, right? You saw something that was like, there is a need here in, in business of hospitality, however you want to talk about it. There's disruptions that are happening. There's this need for people to learn things from you in order to be better at what they're doing. So it's such a great fit for our listeners because there's some disruption. There's some way to disrupt, to be different. And you saw a huge opportunity to take your companies into that space and help people. So talk a little bit about what you what got you where? Well, what got me where I was, I was really fortunate to be um, one of nine kids, right? And a dad who was an amazing Irish physician with a, with a funny wit about him. But I think the biggest thing in uh, change and everything was getting enough to eat around the dinner table with nine kids, seven of them boys. And all of us were just always trying to get the other talk too much. So we get to eat a little bit. So many of my brothers are, are doctors and lawyers and, and CFOs of companies and all. And so they always had a lot of fun with me being a bartender. And boy, oh boy, when we get together for years, they would make fun of me and just tease me. Last year, or in, I guess 2019, I did over for 350 million in liquor. I had, I wrote a program called Cocktail Theater, which is all about experience. If we're moving to an experience economy, is, is what is the takeaway, the emotional transaction for my guests and viewers? So in 2012, I started to write these nights. Think of uh, Cocktail Theater's History Channel meets Rocky Horror Picture Show, and you drink your way through. The first time I ever had my first night, I couldn't sell a ticket. And I was like, I literally was about to get canceled at the SLS hotel in Beverly Hills without ever getting up there. So I bought them all myself and I bought them on a credit card without telling my wife, without telling anybody Then I couldn't get anybody to go. And I was like, oh, please. So I got two of my bar backs and then some family members and plied them with free alcohol. But we got through our first night and I'm sure it was terrible, but nobody remembered but again, last year we did uh, a 4,000 performances around the world in nine different languages. But it's all about that change and just really knowing where you're going with something, knowing that we're in a, a reaction-based environment. And boy, if you can tell a great story, and not even great story, but if you can tell secrets, people can't wait to repeat that. And boy, oh boy, being able to tell secrets around the world and beverage inspired and one where they can sip as an exclamation point became a big hit. 
Oh, so much there. Okay, so so many notes getting so many notes getting scribbled on my pad here. So first of all, the the non important stuff. So one of nine kids. So yes, cool. Yeah, uh, I'm one of six. So we're no we're, kind of, we're kind of kindred spirits that way. And your whole thing about you know sitting around the table getting enough to eat. There's a joke in my family, which I'll say in public now. It's just like when when my mom used to make a stew or something. The question always became. So who actually got the couple of pieces of meat that were in there? Because it was really oh, more. So, no, so, <laughs> so totally, totally get that. So that that's awesome. I want to kind of go into this notion. You mentioned the experience economy and the emotional side of this. And right. you know, it's such a hot topic in business, the notion of emotional empathy and the emotional, you know, emotional IQ and that kind of stuff. And it's so connects. I think there's so much to learn because, you know, if you, as you think about mixology and you think about bartenders, there's this a connection when people go to there and it's about giving that experience and that, that emotive connection, that empathy, talk a little bit about why you thought doing this cocktail theater was a way to kind of move beyond, you know, just mixing a drink to kind of building that emotional experience with guests as they come in. Right. So to build the emotional experience, as you put it, I think is a great way of thinking about it. And if we look at Cornell did this study and it said um, it's the rule of 17. It might have been Yale or Cornell, but one of them did. It was fantastic. But I base a lot of my teaching on it. And it says that people laugh and smile about 17 times a day. But in a great bar, they do it 17 times an hour. That's why we go back again and again. It's not necessarily the food was the greatest or the drink was the greatest. It made us feel a certain way. And because we felt that way, we go back and we can't wait to feel that way again. So for me, it all became about creating an emotion, a way of taking somebody on a journey. And by taking them on a journey, it wasn't necessarily just about that Jack and Coke or that vodka soda you could get anywhere. It was about taking them and making them feel a certain way throughout the experience. And so getting to that, and then, you know, I've been very, very blessed to work with some of the greatest chefs of our times is taking that and, and honestly doing Bar Rescue with John Taffer was number one show for years is changing it as opposed to getting to go somewhere, but creating a reaction off of my guests. If my guest creates, it has a reaction to the product, I win. If they don't, I lose. In other words, if it's a great drink and they don't take a picture of it, I lose. If it's a great drink and they take a picture and they post, I win. So it becomes binary in that way that I need to create a reaction, not only off of the what I'm providing, that experience I'm providing, but that emotional transaction that I have with the guest each time. It's so cool because one of the models that we use in my consulting practice, which is all about helping companies drive transformational change in their companies. There's a graphic we use, which is taking people on the emotional journey of change. And it kind of starts at the, at a peak where it's like, cool, change is going to be great. And then as it really gets to wait, this is going to be hard. Oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> oh my God, why are we doing this? And you hit this trough that we call the swamp of despair that you need oh, to bring people great. back that you need to bring people back up the other side. But it, like any organizational change goes through this notion of a, a journey of taking people through it. So I, I'd, I'd love for you to dig in more on that. This notion of saying, hey, I've got to engage people emotionally. I got to get them to demonstrate behaviors that show this is really connecting with them. And I got to help them lead them through this change journey because that's a lot of what I heard you to say. Yeah, so first to start, it's emotional journey. So I am never selling. I have thousands of bartenders I train all over the world. They are never selling. 
because if they sell and they think to sell, then they fail. They fail right up the beginning because nobody wants in that rule of 17 and that emotional transaction to be feeling like they're sold to. What they want to do is they want to provide that experience. And by providing that experiences, they want to take care of them. They want to entertain them. They want to make great suggestions. They want to make that person feel a certain way each and every time with that transaction. And then bringing back to you're creating a reaction, not a sales. So if that if I'm creating that reaction of they're having a great time, I can suggest different ways for them to have an even better time. So when I was originally working and, and running a place, the SLS hotel, uh, and that was really wonderful, is I wanted to be the best, but I realized that I could be the best in Los Angeles, but so what? My wife uses this term, so what, all the time. It drives me nuts. I'll say, my love, we had, we had two and a half million viewers on TV last night. She'll smile and she goes, so what? I'll be like, no, but... But wait, think about it. She's really smart. She's wicked smart. Megan, she's brilliant, beautiful, and smart. And I, I tricked her into marrying me 17 years ago. But she's like, um, so what? And so that always just punches me in the gut, takes the air out of me. And then it says, what am I doing with that? And what am I doing with being the best in Los Angeles? The answer is nothing. I had to be, all of a sudden, I had to change my goals and go, well, I want to be the best in the world. And to be the best in the world, I had to change the way that I trained in reaction techniques. And to be able to train, I'd have to train people that their first language wasn't English. And so by partnering with Princess Cruises, to be able to do a, a global program that 300 programs that run all over the world, is I had to make everything streamlined. And so for me, I instead of if you look and I have 50 or 60 different cocktail books, is they'll list all the ingredients. And I'll be bored to tears. I have very little attention span. Attention span, real quickly, is a, and I have a terrible one. But we used to have 30 to 40 seconds. We used to pay attention. But right now, a goldfish has the attention span of nine seconds. A person has the attention span of eight seconds. So you better be quick. You better throw a pie. And you better make somebody feel a certain way. So with my teams around the world, as I invented a way of teaching called the three T's, taste, technique, and tail. Instead of listing out everything and boring somebody like they're in a cooking show, you better uh, make sure that somebody knows that uh, the drink has to taste great, a fundamental technique to execute it each and every time, and then the tail. And that's the story behind the drink that makes you fall in love with that or have that emotion behind it. So for me, LA or just being the best in New York wasn't enough is, how do I create this global experience and partner with teams all over that I can create something that no one else can? And that led me to where I am right now. Cool. All right. Let me dig in there. Love this. Love this. Love this. So taste, technique, and tail, the three T's. Did I get them right? Yes, you did. All right. So imagine one of our listeners is sitting there. Let's give some dimension to it. She's a head of a team of you know 12. She's tasked with getting something done differently in that organization and getting her 12 people fired up about to do this, right? So I'll put you on the spot because I think I can. Yeah. So translate taste technique to tail to her dilemma. I'm leading this team. All 12 of these people got to come along on this. I got to get them engaged and keep them engaged in this. It's going to suck at times, but we need to rally the troops to kind of get through there. So is there a way you can on the fly and listeners, I'm putting it on the spot and on the fly, you know, how does taste technique and tail translate into something for a general business leader who's doing something like that with a team of 12? 
you have to have a really clear vision in your taste and you have to remind your uh, customer what it's going to, what victory, what that amazing feeling, how that's going to be. It's the emotion that drives a sale and no matter what it is. If I tell you, it go back to the study of where in Boston they did a, a the greatest chocolatiers in the world came in and they had a hundred critics and these hundred critics got blindfolded and they got to taste test everything and they were told about this chocolate and the chocolatier it was like a Norman Love one of the best in the world came in and they had a hundred dishes of this chocolate ice cream and everybody was blindfolded and everybody described how amazing this experience was except for two people. And two people were the two people that were right, because at the very end of it, they said, it tastes like vanilla. And it was vanilla ice cream. And 98 people were sure it was the greatest. 98 of the best taste testers in the world were sure it was the best chocolate. So getting back to it is remind your, my end users what this victory, what the end is going to be and congratulate them and tell them that it's going to be spectacular over and over. So they feel that emotional connective, connectivity to it. And then that technique. So whether you're dealing in just uh, a, a small a way of working it, or you have a global outreach, that it's a fundamental technique that it's easy to execute each and every time. Because it's hard when all of a sudden everybody's doing different ways of it and they're not a fundamental way of executing that. So if you look at the beverage, right? And if you're looking how to shake a cocktail, we go corner to corner to rotate it. But if I'm looking at sales, I want to get away from a non-binary question, meaning getting away from a yes or no. Because once I get into a yes or no, it can completely end my sale. So that everybody has that same support and training each way, all the way through, uh, because then you can measure your success. But the most important part is tail and tails that story behind it. It's your brand story that people love and they, they can't wait to repeat. And the more that you can make that a secret, see people hear stories all the time and they become white noise, but secrets people can't wait to repeat. And if it's a great secret, oh, they, they can't wait to tell you all about it. In my world, it goes back to my dad, one of nine, as we talked about. When my dad, he was his favorite gin in the world was, it was Boodle's gin. And the reason why it wasn't because of, oh, it has this lemon or coriander or juniper here. It was because it was Winston Churchill's gin. And he had heard that once and he repeated it all the time. So if we ever went out to eat, which wasn't often with nine kids, but if we went out deep and they had Boodle's gin, that was his thing. And that place all of a sudden became great. So with the company that it has a great secret or story behind it, it's the part that people never forget and they can't wait to repeat. So, so good. I want to dig into training if we might. So in most change projects, it involves building new skills or competencies or mindsets in people, right? So there, there's a great quote. I think it's attributed to Zig Ziglar, you know, the motivational speaker years ago. Yeah. Zig, Zig would say, look, you don't build a business, you build people and you let the people build the business, right? So as a leader, if you're worried about building the business, you're focused in the wrong place, build the people. And so, so much of time in times of disruption and change is about empowering people, giving them the right skills and competencies and driving them forward. So you took this on, you've got over 2,000 
mixologists and bartenders around the world who have kind of taken you up on your training and you do a huge business in this training for them. What are you teaching them? What's your training curriculum and, 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 and what need is it solving as you kind of go into, in, into there? So talk a little bit about how you took that whole challenge and said, gosh, there has to be a training platform to get people better at this. Right. So the training platform for me, and, and I love Zig Ziglar and, and, and all of those, I mean, everything from Robbins to Zig Ziglar to everybody is it, it deals for me with empowering my teams, making them feel incredible, making them feel proud and excited. So when I'm dealing with, on the global scale, if I'm looking macro, I have to deal with teams like from the Philippines. And the, the thing, the difference is, is different cultures react differently to everything and especially in sales or reaction techniques and making people feel empowered is if you're from a culture where you're much more quiet you're more demure and it's a little rude to interrupt or it's a little rude to push yourself in, in a way to help with the guest experiences you have to smash through that so for me it's all about building the person up and making them feel like a million dollars as they come through that door as they're ready you know as they're coming on stage that they own that stage and that stage may be a bar it may be a huge platform on one of princess cruise line ships but it makes them feel that it's their own. So creating, creating an ownership to it is huge for me. So I get out of the way of most, most methods in the hospitality industry tell you what you can't do. For me, I tell them what they can do. And then I try to make sure that I leave it in ways that they find great ways of what could I do? What could I possibly do? What could I possibly do if... There was no way of failing or no way of, of losing or no way of excusing so that they get to start to think of being outside the box of how could I create an experience for my customers that they can do each and every time that may be against what the way they grew up, but is more in favor of making a great experience for somebody, especially on our ships, if you will. So for me, it was all about empowering the guests, empowering our people to, to really reach out to the guests, thinking proactively and going back to the science of it is if I look at just for there and, and just to be more uh, micro in that is if there's another study that says, you know, of course, your regulars, 20% of your people that come into your restaurant bar are going to provide 80% of your revenue. But what they don't tell you is that you have to get somebody to the fourth visit. If they don't come four times, they never become a regular. I'm not there. You're not there. But the people on the ground that are representing our company are there every day. So if we find ways to make them empowered and thinking of how to get people back there more and more, then it drives our business or drives our revenue so much more. And they can come up with some really creative and exciting things. Once we lay that fundamentals of the sales of getting them back and to be able to experience it, it's they can say, well, I noticed this when we're in Asia, or I noticed this when we're in the Baltic Sea, or I noticed this. And we can start to build out more ways of reaching out to people. 
So a, a couple of things I really love. I'm connecting back to, we had a guest on the, on, on, on the show a while back. His name is Duncan Wardle. Duncan was the global VP of PR and ultimately innovation for Disney, which is kind of a cool position to have. And he's a Brit. So I often call him the lost BG because that's what he sounds like when you talk to him, <laughs> uh, which is totally cool. But you know, Duncan is out teaching people how to be creative and innovative. And part of what he says is what you said. We don't we can't teach people to be constrained. We can't be kind of put them in a box. We need to teach them to say, yes, and. Oh, yes, we can do this and this, and it will make it better. How might we be more expansionist? Yes. We think about doing it. And what if, right? And so what I hear you Brilliant. saying is you're teaching your people to say, hey, you've constantly got to be being expanding the way you can connect with the guest in order to be able to drive better connections and things. So there's a lot of what he teaches in terms of creativity and innovation that I hear very similar to what you're bringing to the fore for the people who are going through your programs. Absolutely. The more that we can have them empowered and feel excited and then getting away from that's wrong. I'm going to write you up. That's bad. That's a, the more that we can feel that we're creating an empowering way that they feel excited, that they can't wait to talk. They can't wait to share their experiences gets in a way of, of the guest experiencing being more authentic and that experience being one they want more of. If my, if my teams are afraid when they get out there, if they're not going to react well, they're not gonna play well, they're not gonna execute well. So it's always for me about empowering. Yeah, and, and they are your front line, right? And in, yes. in the business that you're in, they are the people who are on the front line. And if they're not evangelized to the way you want them to go do that, they'll be held back. Yes, absolutely. I would completely agree with that. The other note I made is your 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 magic of the fourth visit. So I told you I sometimes just grab nuggets and I like to park them for our listeners, right? Your word, the fourth visit, to me, I translate to a lot of the people we talk to is how do I drive brand loyalty, right? I can right. I can get it, I can get anybody to buy once. They may repeat a second time. How do I make sure that they are loyal? And your word is the fourth visit. So how do you get people to do that in your training? So I love that. First of all, you've got people focused on saying, hey, success is going to be something around the fourth visit, right? Get people to engage with you, build that relationship, drive that forward. But how do you teach people that mindset to be really focused on deepening loyalty for business success rather than just kind of solving the current interaction? Right. So if I'm looking at the, if I'm looking at a bar anywhere in the world, I try to make everything as nonverbal as possible. So my teams never talk, they signal. And so uh, some of this is based on, on the brilliant John Taffer that I'm really blessed to, to work with and, and his show from Bar Rescue on. And then some of just things that, that we notice that work all over is on the first visit. They don't know that, but we know it. So everybody, all of my um, bartenders, bar stewards, waiters, waitresses, busboys, barbacks know that when somebody has a red tablecloth under their water, not red, a red cocktail napkin under their water, we all know that's that person's first visit. Nobody else needs to know. Now, maybe blue, it may be something else, or maybe like a striped one. It's very... Everybody makes sure to say hi. And if my managers don't greet that table, I fire them immediately. They need to go over and say hi. They need to drop off their card. They need to write on the back of their card their, their self. And even though it's on the card or could be on the card, write it again and give it to them and give it to them with the two hands out there 
and give it to them with their eye contact and make sure you have one for each of those people there. Thank them for being there and invite them back. And when they come back, make sure that they have your cell if they want a special reservation. But when they come back, we make sure to do something special for them and when they're asking for it. So most people use a manager in restaurants and hospitality in a way of solving for problems. You know, here we're trying to make, use a proactive way of inviting it. Now I go out to eat all the time and it's so rare that I ever have or ever get to meet a, a, a manager. It's crazy, but it's a great um, company that always has you feeling like, oh, this is cool. Oh, I'm special. So it's one of those things, always that table touch, always that second bite. Then we have a couple different ways of making sure that person comes back, whether it's, you know, whether it's we're buying them a dessert on the third visit when you come back, whether it's whatever it is that they can't move, truffle popcorn, edamame, whatever it is we do that we make sure that person comes back so that on their fourth, it's, it's really exciting, but we make sure to mark, we make sure that everybody knows and that it's a celebration that it's the second, third time that they're coming back. So good, right? Because you got to win that share of wallet every time. There's so many choices that a guest has, right? And right. if you're if you're not building that longer tail of being able to be really sticky with a person and building that emotional connection, which I keep hearing you use that word, right? Yeah. Um, that, as you're trying to engage people, they're humans, first of all. They're not a number. They're not a ticket. They're not. <laughs> they're humans, yeah. right? Right. So, right. So how do you how do you how do you connect on the human side of that to be able to uh, really think that through? So uh, clearly you're driving huge success by bringing people through that training program. No, it's, you know, it's been a uh, really important, really exciting. I think the big thing was when the shutdown happened, all of a sudden was having to take a big pivot in my company and my business, because literally within a week, we lost everything, just about everything. You're looking at globally shutting down 300, some restaurants shutting down basically in bars. So there was a lot of all of a sudden of, of pivoting and quickly changing. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, I've got to do this quickly as a CEO of a company. And so I immediately started reaching out to a lot of the network presidents that I've worked with in the past. And I started selling like crazy. And I started selling a new experience, which became ex much bigger than I had ever imagined, which was virtual and it was, I, of course, my wife, thank God she's still married to me, but I, of course, told everybody at the time, hey, listen, we have the greatest film cameras. I've got a huge studio. We are ready to start rolling. We can start shooting virtually. We're ready. And finally, Spirits Network bought and they were like, okay, we'll buy a season. We'll buy a whole season. I was like, yes. And so I went into my wife and I said, hey, and she's brilliant. And I said, we have uh, good news and bad news. She's like, the good news. I'm like, hey, I sold a whole season of a TV show that we're going to shoot virtually. She's like, okay, bad news. I said, I told him I have a film studio. She's like, you don't have a film studio. I'm like, I know. So I need you to film me one. <laughs> And she's brilliant with her hands, but she's five months pregnant. She's got four days to film, uh, to build out a student, which she did, but she even, she wouldn't even let me in the room. She was like happy and mad all at the same time. But that studio we still use. Now we have a, a true film studio in Nashville. 
but she built it all and it started with spirits network but we've now done hundreds uh hundreds and hundreds of you know virtual shows whether they've been b2b or b2c um we do millions of viewers through it and we tell stories i i do them with some really big stars i do them with some really you know fun people you know that are, that are great just wonderful folks like you and i and so it's been a, a completely different change that that all of a sudden we had to make over all of us had to make overnight it, it, it's fascinating I, i'm glad you brought it up because i wanted to kind of come back to the impact of the pandemic and pandemic and lockdowns really oh. on 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 the hospitality industry because i think there's so many learnings there as we kind of broaden to all of our listeners saying you know Yes, a massive disruption came your way. It came in the form of a pandemic. It came in the form of lockdowns in lots of places. Cool. A curveball that no one could have planned for. However, as you see the world, as you kind of work with people, you know, here are some things that are guiding the hospitality industry out of that to some greater success. It's not going to be in the normal. We're not going back to normal, but there's something that's going to be greater success. So as you kind of think about the hospitality industry coming out of this over the next couple of years. What is your point of view on what's driving success that might be expandable? Like what to other categories and other industries? Like what are some of the things that you're like, no, no, this is how we're going to get this right in hospitality. Yeah. So I think that in hospitality, it's got to up its game, first of all, in the way it treats people and can't take anyone for granted and has to make them for the first time always feel safe. I think before that could have been overlooked at times, like, oh, it's going to be fine. Now, as I was just said yesterday, I was in St. Thomas and, you know, even though we were outdoors to a degree and we were serving, you know, I'd say 50 people, we were still in gloves and we were still in masks as we were prepping, as we were serving stuff. So that need for safety and security, that need to put um, health and cleanliness first and make it a driving force is, is paramount, like never before. Before it was a thought of, oh yes, we hope we, you know, we'll pass our, our tests and we'll have, you know, the inspector come in, it'll be great. Now it's something you need to be showing and practicing every single moment. I can't tell you how many times you change your gloves and your masks and all that, but to be doing that, I think it's the number one thing. Um, and then the, the second thing is even in a hospitality for me uh, in a personal journey, I was uh, started screaming out all these shows and, and we became very successful for uh, our Rob Floyd Entertainment. Uh, but what I was realizing is there's nothing, uh, there's no there there. There's no excitement after the fact of uh, streaming. And so that's where I started doing cocktail kits. My soul was out there and I saw an opportunity I was like, boy, if we start partnering and build a better experience for our home bartender, take that home bartender and not just make a liquid chef, but make him a rock star mixologist. And we sent the kit that was, I designed everything in that kit so that it becomes super easy. And then the three T's can be for the home bartender. That became another huge source of revenue. And being able to reach out to home was a big thing for lots of different companies and, and, and some waited and some just went forward. And the ones that went forward and started that reach out, not that it was easy at first, I think have had uh, some pretty solid years. 
that's, I mean, so cool that you've kind of just keep expanding different ways to create impact. But as I'm, as I'm scribbling notes here, it always comes back to connecting with the person, right? Leading in with em- empathy and authenticity along the way, helping to drive success for that person to make them feel worth and value and deepening the relationship, right? Okay. So any brand that was listening to this podcast, it's like, listen to those things, right? That's what you've got to be doing with your brand, right? It's like, that's, that's how you map a way to be able to, to create these brands in these new environments that you need to be able to not just be selling a widget or actually, you know, have a product on a shelf, but how are you creating this deeper bond with the core that you have and driving to that fourth visit or that deepened loyalty that Rob's talking about. So I, there's a whole bunch of things I'm scribbling on here. So, I mean, we're covering some turf here, my friend. I know, I know. And, and speaking of brands is, you know, one of the, the most exciting things is I have a, a new product coming out. And I think it's an innovation in celebration, if you get down to it, because I'm working with Ross Stellar, who is from Starco Brands, one of the most brilliant innovators of our time. And then Cardi B, one of the biggest entertainers of our time. And so we are launching a new brand called Whip Shots, which is alcoholic whipped cream, shelf stable, fantastic, three different flavors to start off with, but it's it'll come out um, as of really today allowed to talk about it. So, but it's really exciting and it's going to, I think it's going to be a disruptor in the, the field because there's nothing like it. So it'll have the opportunity to create an experience. It's fun. It's whimsical. It tastes great. And you can use it on a cocktail or you can use it on your apple pie and get a little little extra flavor and kick. So cool. So cool. Okay. So I would be remiss if I didn't go into cocktails. So (laughs) I I was uh, emceeing an industry meeting a little while ago that you were graciously one of the agenda items on and the, and the, the audience loved it. You actually did a version, I think of your cocktail kits that went out to everybody on this virtual meeting to prove that you could make this happen virtually, right? Everybody had their mixes. Everybody was holding them up. I actually have a screenshot of, of everybody shaking shaking their drinks along the way. It was really, but somebody was ridiculously keen about some of your very specific drink tips. So top of mind, answer now. What's, your, what's the drink that you go, everyone who's listening now needs to know how to do this and needs to do it this way because it's going to set you apart? I think that I'd go to the old fashioned. And I realized that there's two old fashions and this is my theory. So you can say, ah, Rob, you're, you don't know anything, but that's okay. And that's the beauty of my industry is that we can all uh, be part of a community and a wonderful spirited and disagreement and, and, and have fun with it. But the first old fashioned we're looking at is May 6, 1806. It's written in a newspaper out of Boston area. And it talks about old fashioned style of cocktail, which is spirit, bitters, sugar, and a dash of water, if you will, or ice. When you have prohibition, what happens is you have really poor quality spirits. And so people are, you know, it's actually pretty good at times for, for mixologists and, and bartenders, if you will. But you're all of a sudden having to disguise the the spirit and the spirit's not as good as it used to. And um, actually gives birth to what I call the 7-Eleven style mixers, mixers that that never go bad, not a good style, but it becomes your old fashioned, which is your old fashioned, which gets muddled with different things from the cherry to the orange. And, and so 
for me, I think of that we all should know the old fashioned from 1805, 1806, because it's so easy to make and it's versatile and it's fun and you can do it so many different ways and you can look like a rock star doing it. And so if you were just to think of two ounces of spirit, whether you use two ounces of rye, two ounces of bourbon or tequila, something fun that was your favorite that way, two ounces of that. And if you went and used a little sugar cube or a half ounce of simple syrup, I like to use a half ounce of agave or even a quarter ounce of agave. And then a little of your favorite bitters. Now, a lot of people love the Angostura bitters. We see that in the stores and I actually like it a lot too, but you can play around with it. You can do a dash of that and find some orange bitters or find some chocolate bitters, but play around. So all of a sudden you're looking at something super simple to make, but all of a sudden has all these different flavor variations. And I like to say to my teams all over the world or, or to the home bartenders that are becoming rock stars is, is it's think of it as like you're painting. And you see a lot of people doing these paintings and they use seven and eight colors and they mix them all together. And that painting turns like an ugly brown. But you as a rock star, use three great colors, one primary and two accents. And you'll always get that beautiful, vibrant color picture or flavor that you can taste. So I love everybody learning that drink, the 1806 old fashioned. I love that it's two ounces of spirit, half ounce of sweet, a little bit of bitters, and a little bit of, of course, I'll, sometimes I'll like a little orange or a little lemon and orange. Depends on what I'm mixing with, but it's easy to do. You don't have to clean up much either. and You can have some fun with it. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. How should our listeners follow you, right? Because again, and, and before you answer, I'll kind of give my little quasi wrap up because I'm not sure I'm there yet. But this, this, so, I mean, part of what I, fi I find fascinating the discussion, right? So clearly, I mean, as I've talked to listeners, clearly Rob is an expert in the craft of mixology, right? And, 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 and he can talk about the history of it and talk about where things come from. It's not just the skill of mixing things, but it's, it's the entire story behind what they are. And so that's fascinating. In addition, expert in the business side of this thing, right? It, it's not just about the, the mixology side, expert in the business side, expert in this notion of experience, right? And delivering on experiential value, which is so critically important today and probably five or six other things that I have here. So I would suggest everybody should be following Rob at some along the way. So how would they do that? Right now is I am Rob Floyd Entertainment on Instagram, which I probably do the most of, but I also do LinkedIn, uh, which is the same and Twitter. Those, those are my main three. I I do, of course, have a website up, which I respond to everybody as well, which is Rob Floyd Entertainment or robfloydent.com to be specific. Yeah, so those are the main things that I do. I love to get back to people. For me, it's a big community and I love sharing. I love the, the experience. This is, and I think this happens to a lot of us, this is an accidental profession. I never grew up going, oh man, I can't wait to pour drinks for people. And I can't tell you how many times as a 20 year old, I, I jumped into this to pay for diapers. You know, I never thought of it as a profession, but I was lucky and blessed to work with people from Gordon Ramsay to Jose Andres to, to John Taffer and to learn from these people. And I was just to be able to share what they shared openly with me. Uh, so I adore what I do. And I, I just love to try to make people happy every day. 
so cool. So all of those notes will be in the show notes when we post this episode up. You'll get all the links to all of Rob's stuff. We'll also kind of headline some of these key takeaways, including try to make people smile at least 17 times an hour, because that's a goal I clearly hear. Get people to the fourth visit. Translate the three T's, which if I remember correctly, are taste technique. And the third one was? Hell, secret sauce. Hell. I wanted you. I wanted you to say the tail one because I know that's <laughs> the most important one to you. So cool, and all of that will be in the show notes. So on behalf of our Change Cultivated Delicious, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule, beaming in from Nashville, so that we can kind of record this. This will get posted up, and hopefully, we'll get a lot of listens. And everybody should kind of follow your journey because you're on a you're on a mission, and uh, it sounds really really cool that we should all follow along. Well, you do such an incredible work because so many times every one of us feels lost uh, and every day you wake up and you're looking at it, man. I love that quote. Man looks into the abyss and sees nothing. Look back at him. And at that moment, he knows his character or she. And it's running a business. We all feel that at times. And being able to hear such great work that you do helps us all. So I'm very happy and, and, and proud to be on it. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you being here. All right. Thanks.